from Buck Studio at Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Zorba Pastor on your health. I'm Tom Clark, here again with family doc Zorba Pastor, talking with you about what's new in healthy living, sharing some down-to-earth advice and great lifestyle tips to help you get the most out of life. If you have a question for the good doc, the number to call is 800 462 7413. And along with your calls, we have some topics to talk about, Zorba. Yes, hiccups. <laughs> hiccups. What's real? What isn't real? We all have cures for hiccups. Let's look at the science. And uh, neuroscientists have identified uh, neurons in the brain that respond to singing but not to other types of music, certain kinds of singing. So we'll talk about it. Kind of yeah, interesting. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. What's our recipe? Sriracha deviled eggs. Now, do you know what sriracha is? No idea. No idea. Well, sriracha is probably the most common hot sauce sold in America today. At least it's right up there. Oh. Right up there. And it's like the big containers. Always comes. You, you may have seen it at Asian restaurants, but it's crossed the line. It's actually now in deviled eggs. I love deviled eggs. I have probably three different kinds of accoutrements in the house to bring deviled eggs to other houses. I just not a big deviled egg fan, but a hot. I love. But hot you're a hot. Per, I, you're, you I, like yeah, hot stuff. Yeah, yeah. So this is a good recipe. Good okay, recipe. Um, to the phones now, Zorba at one 7413 Our first caller joins us now. A listener with us in Viola, Wisconsin. Hi. Hi, Dr. Pastor and Tom. How can we help? I'm calling on behalf of my daughter, who is 26. Uh, she has Turner's syndrome, so I'll mention that mm-hmm. right off the top. Explain to our audience what Turner's is. All right. Uh, women have an XX combination of mm-hmm. chromosomes. Right. Men have the Y and mm-hmm. X. That's right. And it, she's missing one X chromosome. Right. That's exactly it. Right. And she's how old? She is 26, uh-huh. Okay. very much in shape, mm-hmm. does strenuous exercise mm-hmm. daily for an hour. Uh, but uh, about two weeks ago, uh, we took a, our mile walk in early morning, and she was feeling dizzy, and it was hard to breathe. Uh, I took her blood pressure on a good machine, mm-hmm. uh, and it was 144 over 96, okay. and her pulse was sort of sort of high. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kept taking her blood pressure every hour, mm-hmm. and by evening it was 198 over 116. Oh. She was having a lot of trouble breathing, so I took her to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. They tested her for everything I could think of. Uh, it wasn't COVID. Uh, they did a CT of her lungs that was oh. clean. Mm-hmm. Her thyroid was at 10.9. TSH. Her potassium uh-huh. was very low. Uh-huh. Uh, EKG was clean. Sodium was low, carbon dioxide was low, uh, her blood showed some inflammation. They gave her something to, to lower her blood pressure and sent her home. Mm-hmm. She's continued with very high blood pressure. Her breathing is still labored. Oh. She can't, hasn't been able uh-huh. to exercise uh-huh. Wait, all so, this time. So when was she in the emergency room? Uh, about many, two weeks ago. About two weeks ago. Where's her follow-up? She's seen somebody for a follow-up? ended up going to emergency again because Mm -hmm. her breathing was so bad uh, just the next day. Uh, She went to see her general practitioner who was (laughs) gone on vacation and there was a substitute there. Mm -hmm. Uh, She told all her problems too and the substitute sent her home and said she was just fine. Mm -hmm. So uh, she's really gotten no help with all this. Uh, Her blood pressure is still high. Her respiration's high. Uh She's having trouble breathing yet, and she she can't even exercise anymore. Well, there there you've got a lot of things going on here. First of all, what is her blood? What's her blood pressure on your good machine? Um, well, I mean, that one time was one ninety eight over one sixteen. It's been running generally, probably if I average it, about one forty four over ninety eight. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first of all, we don't have a diagnosis for her. And the ER is not a good place to go. It's episodic care. It's not a episodic care. And the substitute person who is in the office for your, for that, I mean, you don't have an explanation of why her, why her sodium is off and her potassium is off. Her blood pressure is high and she's short of breath. She needs to see somebody and get a full evaluation. And you're not getting it. 
and that's not what's happening. And the substitute doctor who said, well, she's just fine, if they actually said that, I mean, you know, if she's not just fine. She's, her blood pressure is still elevated and maybe based and it's hard to say what's going on, but she's 26 and she is normally healthy. So you've got to get some care for her somewhere else. You're in Viola. Yeah, you got to go. She made yeah. an appointment to see her regular GP, but that was two weeks in the future. Well, if your daughter is still not doing well, and if your daughter is short of breath and you don't have a diagnosis and you have high blood pressure and you've got uh, electrolyte abnormalities, you can't wait two weeks. That's too long. You don't know what's going on. And she's had two visits to the emergency room. So I'm very concerned. Got to tell you. There may be something mild or minor, and it may be something significant. But if you don't have a diagnosis and she's still symptomatic, she's got to see somebody before two weeks. That's my best advice. I agree. I wanted to hear it from you. <laughs> you got to got to get her seen, and you're not getting good care. The substitute doctor, if you don't have a diagnosis, sent out. Why does she have high blood pressure? Is she put on something? She's not put on something. And why is she having high blood pressure at the age of 26? It does happen. Don't get me wrong, but she's got other stuff going on too, and you haven't had a full evaluation. So my best advice is get her in somewhere else, and it may be in a different town. You know, I don't know. What hospital did you go to? Originally, mm-hmm. uh, the hospital in Viroqua. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, I, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with the doctors or the hospital in Viroqua. Get her in to see somebody else. She doesn't have to see her same GP. She may see a family doc or an internist, but you need a full evaluation. Do not wait two weeks because we don't know what's happening. Take care. Thanks for your call. Hope that Thank we helped. You. I wish I could give you a diagnosis, but I know something's going on here, and it doesn't smell right to me. Me either. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate that call. Thanks a lot. You know, it's really important because what happens is, here it is, you went to the emergency room twice, okay, once when you've got this, you know, low potassium, low sodium, you know, a bunch of things. I mean, you don't, I don't have a lab stuff and high blood pressure. And then she went in a second time and then she went to see a substitute physician or PA or nurse practitioner. We don't know a third time. So three times in a short period of time, no diagnosis on a 26-year-old. Could be serious, may not. This is the time somebody's got to act on it. The dad knew that. Mm. 800-462-7413 is our number if you have a question for Zorba. 800-462-7413. Before our next call, though, Zorba, we talk about hiccup cures? Of course, of course. <laughs> when was the last time you had hiccups? Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. You know, I love hiccups on little babies. They're always so cute when they say, yip, yip. You know, their whole body, their whole body moves. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're sort of cute on babies. They're not cute for adults, and they're not cute if they never stop. I had a patient who suffered from hiccups for years. We put him on an old-fashioned drug called Thorazine, which was used for uh, schizophrenia, and that was one of the drugs that worked for hiccups. But for most of us, it's not there. Now, a hiccup is a sudden spasm of the diaphragm, right? You know, the diaphragm, of course, is separating out the chest from the abdomen around the lungs. And they send a message to the brain that basically causes your throat to flap and hick. So it sends a message. Up is the release of pressure when the flap opens up. (laughs) And down. And there, there are a few concrete medical cures for hiccups, but experts know it always involves the diaphragm. So let's look at them. Okay. How about holding your breath? What do you think about that? I don't know. I guess okay, it you know, holding work. Your breath. Okay, holding your breath. Okay, holding your breath. As silly as it sounds, holding your breath, gulping down air may sound scientific, but but it may not be scientific, but it does work. The more swallows, the longer you hold, the stronger the stimulation, the better it works. That's what we know. Okay, how about sip of water while seated bent over? Have you ever done that? Picture. <laughs> Sip of water while you're seated and bent over. you got to make sure you don't spill it. Drink water from the wrong side of the glass. Okay. Drink water while plugging your ears. Drink water while twirling the glass. Drink 10 sips of water without stopping. Okay. You want to know the science? Sure. Of course. That's right. I knew that. Anytime drinking is involved, you have a shot at curing your hiccups. In other words, swallowing triggers the vagus nerve, which is connected to hiccups. So anytime you try to drink water, maybe drinking water while doing a somersault one. Okay. How about a spoonful of sugar, peanut butter, or a lemon slice? What do you think about that? I don't know. 
Come on, I want something a little more than that. The science. It's likely to work for different reasons. Citrus and acidic and sour things activate the vagus nerve. Again, that's what we're trying to do. And when it comes to a spoonful of sugar, as much as we would like excuse for eating it, it actually is good. So that'll work. How about a distraction, like scaring someone? Okay. How about thinking about cows? Where did that come from? (laughs) Obviously not Wisconsin. (laughs) Naming seven men you know who are bald. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You can also, I mean, these are from listeners. Uh, Well, they're not listeners to other shows. Having someone demand that your hiccups stop. Is there science? No basis in science. Right? Wrong. Being scared again? Might be a trigger for the vagus nerve. See a pattern here? And here's a little off the wall. Sticking a cotton swab with KY jelly up your nose and down your throat and twirling it. Good grief. Good grief. Anyway, these are all scientific. So you know what the answer is? Follow what your mother said, and that will cure your hiccups. <laughs> well, how, how serious is a real hiccup? Because I was well, just zoning well, out while you were well, talking, because I couldn't care less. Well, you get a hiccup yeah. in two minutes, it's gone. Well, that's you know when you're younger, hiccups are more common. At least I remember it being more mm. common when younger. For some people, it's impossible to go away. And like I said, I had patients uh, who had it. For those with intractable hiccups, it's a big problem. But for the rest of us, you know, yeah. like you said, it just goes away. is our number. Want to question Zorba? That's the number to call. 800-462-7413. Now, Zorba, let's see if we can help a listener in Heartland, Wisconsin. Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. How can we help? Okay. So in November of 2021, it was the first time I ever had blood work that was flagged with high numbers. What sort of high numbers? Uh, like Billy Rubin. Oh. Mm-hmm. The, the MCV. Mm-hmm. Well, Billy, uh, Billy Rubin is the liver. MCV is blood. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then the mean corpuscular hemoglobin was high. Yeah, so that's high. I mean, that's And blood. the RDWSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are, all, those are all blood, except for the Billy Rubin. So. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so the Billy Rubin mm-hmm. was at like 1.4. Uh-huh. So a little bit high. Mm-hmm. And then the MCV was one hundred point five. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what your what your doctor say when you when you looked at those numbers? They said, "Well, come on back in February mm-hmm. and we'll test you again." Good. So I did. Mm-hmm. Good point. And very, by the high. way, very 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 good point. So they tested again, and the numbers. Let's stay away from the bilirubin for a minute. The other numbers were still abnormal. Yes. Mm-hmm. So did they do other tests? No. They said that's wait a year. Oh, so. Uh, the MCV was elevated, was a little bit larger? Yeah, yeah. 100.5, uh-huh. yeah. So usually when it's something like that, we tw- we often then check for B12 levels and folate levels. Okay, yeah, make- so they, they mm-hmm. did do that. Oh, they did and, do that. Okay, good. Because that's they what were, they should do. they were do. normal. Mm-hmm. And they were normal, good. So, but I, I was still, I'm so concerned, you know, I've never had anything high on my blood before. Right. Uh-huh. And then the vitamin D was low in mm-hmm. November, but I've been taking... Vitamin D, so now it went from 19 mm-hmm. to 40. Mm-hmm. Good. So first of all, uh, there are a number of things that that can cause this elevation. Number one, uh, and they, you know, your doctor would know because your doctor, I'm assuming, knows you and looked at you. Look at B12 and folate. Are you an alcoholic? No. No. So, I mean, that's kind of one of the things that elevates. Some people just have a variation of normal. And it goes uh, it goes above our normal range. It is a bell-shaped curve, which means that 95% of people who are normal fit within the range, but 5%, 2.5% or rather uh, will be on both sides of this normal, and they'll still be normal, but they'll appear to be abnormal on their test. I think they repeated it, and then they repeat it in a year and follow it. As long as they look at B12 and folate, that's kind of the things you look at, and you could repeat it in six months. I mean, you know, some people just, I don't have a clear answer to you. That's why I'm just kind of fudging this. You could okay. repeat the test. What happened with the bilirubin? Was that elevated? Yeah, 1.4. Mm-hmm. Right. And on the repeat test, it was elevated? Yeah, same, same one. 1. So, 1. so some people have an elevated bilirubin. It's called Gilbert's or Gilbert's syndrome, where they have an elevated bilirubin, but other liver function tests are normal. Did they do the other, other liver function tests on you at all? Yeah, the GF. 
GFR. GFR. Yeah, that was normal. Well, GFR. Well, GFR is kidneys. What did they? Oh, okay. You know, did they do any other any other liver tests at all? I mean, they usually well, do. Well, she did send me a note and said that your liver function was normal. Okay, so they did the other liver function test. Then you know what? You repeat these things in six months to a year doesn't mean you're going to have any problem. Sometimes we just look at it. We do some normal testing. If it looks fine, we simply repeat it. I have patients who have had elevated bilirubin for 25 years and it never changes. So it's a variation of normal. And I said, Gilbert's, if you read about it, G-I-L-B-E-R-T-S, Gilbert syndrome, our Gilbert syndrome is just where you have this elevated bilirubin based on our tests. And as for your other tests, sounds like they did the right test. Repeat it in six months through a year and follow it. It is always disconcerting when our tests are not completely normal, but it doesn't mean that something abnormal is going on. That's the best advice I can give you. Yeah, I guess it was just concerning because it was the first time I've ever had anything, and then I get four sure. things. Yeah. How old, <laughs> how old are you? I'm 63. Well, welcome to the club. <laughs> Over the next 30 to 35 years, there will be other tests. If you live long enough, that will also be somewhat outside of the norm of the normal range. As long as they as long as they do the follow up tests and it's nothing serious, it's just a matter of what we look at. We just have numbers that we look at that can lead us places, but it doesn't mean there's something significantly abnormal going on in your body. Okay. All right, yeah, because I don't have any symptoms of anything. And they followed up with the right test. You got a good yeah. doctor there. Mm-hmm. Thanks right. a lot. Well, thank you for your sure. call. Thanks for the advice, too. Bye-bye. 800 462 our number. 800 Before we take a break now, Zorba, we always love hearing from the grammar police, but here's a new one. This email came from a very slippery and seldom heard from <laughs> division of the grammar police. This one is from the oil police. The following email came to us from a listener named Robert who writes... On a recent show, you asserted that peanut oil has the highest smoke point, when in fact, avocado oil has a smoke point some 70 degrees Fahrenheit higher, 450 degrees versus 520 degrees. In any case, I much enjoy your show and recipes, and Tom, I love your puns, (laughs) mostly. (laughs) Well, this is an interesting point. So first of all, the reason that I... Uh, And thank you for correcting that. Um, You know, uh, Asian food, especially Chinese food, uses very, very hot oil when you're you're working in a wok. And my daughter-in-law is Chinese, and my son-in-law, they all cook Chinese, both of them cook Chinese food. And I had to get a bunch of peanut oil in the house because when we used olive oil, it smokes at a lower point. That's when I learned about peanut oil. I have got, I have purchased avocado oil, but I didn't realize that it was even, goes higher than, than peanut oil. That's really good for walking. Really important to get the right oil for walking so you can get that those veggies in there, crisp them up sooner. Mm. Thank you for pointing that out. And if there are other oil police people who want to chime in, <laughs> please, please. It may be a little slippery, but you can do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did Zorba get something wrong on the show? Oil bet you'll let us know. <laughs> Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. More of your calls coming up, more of your emails, and uh, we'll be cooking up some tasty deviled eggs. All of that coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX, the Public Radio Exchange.
Tom Clark with Family Doc Zorba Pastor here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. That number is 800 462 if you have a question for Zorba. But Zorba, before our next call, sriracha deviled eggs. Now, you don't know what sriracha is. I have no we've idea. Are, we've actually established that. And many of our listeners know what sriracha is, and many of our listeners may not know what sriracha yeah. is. It's in this container, kind of plastic container with a rooster. I think of it as rooster sauce. Mm-hmm. But it basically is a hot sauce that's very good. You could use any one of your favorite hot sauce. You mm-hmm. could use, uh, I can't remember. I mean, I look, if I go to the grocery store, I know there's a whole section of hot sauces. So I have to tell a hot sauce story before I start. So jambalaya. Yeah. I like making jambalaya. I like making New Orleans-type food. And so I made this wonderful jambalaya in the house. And Penny, my wife, loves hot food, loves it, loves it. And I said, honey, it's real, you know, it's hot. I've made it hot. She said, that's okay. I'm going to put this hot sauce on. It was, you know, one of the hot sauces. And I said, that is really hot. I got that in New Orleans. She said, I love hot food. So she put all this, she shook it on and put it on. And then she took a bite and scoop of the jambalaya. And it was so hot, her eyes opened up really wide. And her contacts popped out of her eyes. Go away. <laughs> Both contacts and her <laughs> popped out of her eyes. And it was like, oh, my God, is that hot? And they popped. She said, oh, my God, my contacts popped out. And we only found one of the contacts. So one of them either ended up in the floor or ended up in the jambalaya. It's only a piece of plastic. We went on ate the meal. But I think of that whenever I think of hot sauce. Be careful. That's funny. It popped out of her eyes. She had to get another. Uh, she did. It yeah. was a very costly meal. It was a costly Whoa. meal. We had to get it into the context. Well, one context because we, we salvaged one. Uh, okay. Sriracha deviled eggs. Do you like deviled eggs? Uh, uh, spicy I like. Spicy. So we got to make it spicy. Okay. Six large eggs boiled and peeled. Six large eggs boiled and peeled. One quarter cup of mayonnaise. Quarter cup mayonnaise. Now, I only buy brand name mayonnaise. I have had non-brand name mayonnaise, like generic mayonnaise. Uh, 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 uh. For me, it's Hellman's or Best. I mean, mm-hmm. I like you know mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. You could conceivably use Miracle Whip, strange name for a mayonnaise substitute, but you, mayonnaise got to use mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. A tablespoonful of olive oil. Big tea, olive oil. Teaspoon of pickle juice. Little tea, pickle. In juice. other words, you must have to have pickles in there, but I would eat pickles. Wouldn't you eat pickles with your deviled eggs? Mm. Well, I would eat pickles. Okay. Uh, A teaspoon of sriracha, but you could do a tablespoonful of sriracha if you like it, or two. Okay. Some sriracha. I'd probably use a tablespoon. I'm putting a teaspoon in here, but I might use a tablespoon. Mm -hmm. You're going to use some salt and pepper. You're going to need some sesame seeds and a green onion sliced as garnish. S&P, sesame seeds. You're going to slice and... Green onion. Slice, you're going to... Okay. So first of all, uh, I say you got you got to make the... You got to boil the eggs. You got to peel them. Uh, and you've got to have the eggs. Make Carefully have the eggs. Nice. Scoop out the yolks. Put the yolks in a sieve nestled on top of a medium ball. Okay, so you got them in there. Mm-hmm. Using a spoon, push the yolks through the sieve. So you're going to make them, you know, a little strainer. So you're going to make them even nicer into a bowl. Mix in the mayonnaise, olive oil, pickle juice, sriracha, and a few pinches of salt. Give it a taste. Adjust the seasoning. Then, then you want to spoon it into the egg. And if you've got a piping bag, you know, a little bag that you use for decorating cakes. I'm sure you've got one in your house. When was the last time you decorated a cake? <laughs> moving moving right along. Moving right along. <laughs> Fitted with a star tip if you want it to have really an effect, uh, which is great. Not necessary, but fun. Fill the eggs with a filling, garnish with a little sesame seeds and some sliced green onions. And I think it brings us back. I mean, I love deviled eggs. I think of deviled eggs, summer, and picnics. Carl, do you associate deviled eggs with picnics? Yeah, I do. If I see a plate of deviled eggs at a picnic, I know I'm in trouble and the plate of deviled eggs. (laughs) (laughs) You see, that's it. It's a deviled egg guy. Anyway, it's a wonderful recipe. If you want a variation on deviled eggs, this is your variation. And you know what? You can't write us to get it in the mail. You can't call us because no one will answer the phone to get this recipe in the mail. But you can go to our website, zorbapastor.org. That's zorbapastor.org. And, of course, through Facebook. 800-462-7413 is our number. That's 800-462-7413. And, Zorba, our next caller is a listener in Appleton, Wisconsin. Hi. 
How can we help? Well, I was listening to your program uh, a couple weeks ago when you were talking about coffee and how three cups a day, it's good for you. And I love coffee. I wish I could drink it all day. Um, I have a little espresso machine where I just, it's kind of like a shot of coffee, and I use a real mellow coffee, low acidic low acidic coffee, mm-hmm. and I put 2% milk mm-hmm. and a little bit of this True Whip stuff. It's kind of like Cool Whip, but it doesn't have corn syrup, mm-hmm. sometimes a little honey. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. so Sounds I good. can handle one of those a day, mm-hmm. and if I drink more than that, yeah. it just ruins my stomach. I'm just wondering if there's any other ideas to make it easier on my stomach. And I, I never drink coffee in an empty stomach. Uh, I always uh, have a piece of toast. Uh, oh, so you always, have, you always have food in the stomach. And you love coffee. Coffee is like coffee. I like a little coffee with my sugar. (laughs) Is how many times do you want to drink coffee during the day? Well, I would if I could drink it three times a day. I would love that, but it would Uh just destroy my stomach. Do you have food before you drink the coffee? Always. Always. So you always say the food before you drink the coffee. Well, I'm going to give a strange suggestion, which is, well, maybe it's not strange. Um, get some chewable Tums. They have Tums that taste sort of like candy. Why don't you try that before? It's like having a little piece of candy. Have you tried that? I have. In the past, I've taken Tums, uh-huh. and they, I don't like them. They just really, they almost turn my stomach in a different way. So baking soda has always been my go-to, uh-huh. mixing that just a uh-huh. tiny bit in water. You know, I have to tell you this. As a coffee drinker, my heart goes out to you. I mean, if you can't drink coffee and enjoy <laughs> a cup of coffee, life isn't worth living. I mean, it's really important. <laughs> well, wait a minute. <laughs> well, I can handle Well, one. maybe I'm one going a little too far. <laughs> one is fine. But when I start trying to push it past that, like I had two today, and I'm really uh-huh. feeling the caffeine. Yeah. So I don't know. I, you know, I do. I have been diagnosed with acid reflux. Now, is it the caffeine that's doing it? I don't know. Uh-huh. I think it's just the coffee. And now my second cup today, I, I deliberately did just milk and a little honey in it. Why don't you try some decaf first of all? See whether or not it's the mm-hmm. caffeine. Yeah. I did that once by accident and? for a week. And I couldn't figure out why I had a headache every day. But you, <laughs> but you can, but you, but you can get a strong tasting decaf coffee. In other words, you can get French roast decaf. A good French roast decaf might actually not bother your stomach and give you the sensation of coffee, which of course is one of the greatest sensations known to humankind since it was invented. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you might try de- you might try decaf coffee. I mean, I don't want to put you on a drug like Prilosec or no. you know from. Motidine so you can drink coffee. That seems to be overkill. Try decaf. Um, that's about the best that I have. But I'm going to tell you one thing. We're going to send this out to our listeners, and many of our listeners are going to chime in, and I bet we're going to get some other other remedies for your for this disability. It is a disability if you can't drink right. coffee. Well, my other question I have for you, and I'm 60 years old, by the way, is am I damaging my esophagus? Or I mean, I'm not getting serious heartburn. No, or, no, no. You know, no, I don't. It's just kind of uncomfortable, miserable. Yeah. Like sometimes it just gives me a bellyache or heartburn. Yeah. Does food? Does, I mean, am I hurting myself in the long run and pushing drinking? Does food it? do that also to you? Um, not like coffee. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's times I I do have a sensitive stomach. I'm mm-hmm. I'm. You know. Well, let me let me let me go back one step. If you have a sensitive stomach, if it's bothering you all the time, twenty to forty milligrams of famotidine, uh, ritidine is not on the market. Famotidine is really an excellent excellent treatment for your stomach. So if you're bothered by GERD or bothered by your stomach all the time, I really do recommend famotidine. And you might be able to. I wouldn't recommend it just for drinking the coffee, but if you're bothered otherwise, why don't you try that on a daily basis? Is it safe? to stand that all the time. Absolutely. Famotidine is very safe. It's called an H2 blocker. It's different from the PPIs like uh, like Prilosec and others, but famotidine is very safe. Why don't you try 20 to 40 milligrams a day and see if it makes your stomach better? I mean, yeah, I have a 10 milligram tablet that I take as needed. Then I would, I would go, you know what? I'd go to 20 to 40 milligrams. I take it every day to two to four weeks and see what that does. You might feel better overall from that. That's a different issue. And I mean, as a side effect, you might be able to drink coffee. But I would try some daily, to, uh, and I would try, for, uh, go on 40 milligrams a day. Do the highest dose that works and then pull back. Okay, as long as it's not harmful to be on it. It's very safe. I have people who have been on it for 20 to 40 years, seriously. It's a very safe drug. It's been around a long time. 
So you're saying three to four weeks and see. I would okay. do and see what happens. See if, if you feel better with other things in your stomach. If other things bother you too, try the famotidine. High strength, 40 milligrams a day. If that works, then go to 20 milligrams a day and see if that works. And 20 milligrams is a pretty common dose. Okay. Sounds good. I will try that. Thank you. Thank you. And our and our people will chime in and we'll put it oh, on yeah, our website. Oh, yeah, I know there's a lot of coffee drinkers out there. <laughs> <laughs> there there's got to be a way. There has to be a way. Thanks so, so yeah, much. Yeah, I enjoy it. I especially, I miss having coffee with friends. I just love that. So I've been doing that a little bit with FaceTime, but I drink it so fast. I can't, I can't drink it slow. It tastes so good. So, <laughs> it's like I want to I want to upgrade to a better coffee maker and like, well, I better not do that because I want even more. So, yeah. But I notice mine is not as strong as if I go to a coffee shop, I have one cup and I'm like, whoa, I can really feel the coffee. The caffeine and I have it at home and <laughs> I have to have two before I start feeling it. And dancing with the cat in the kitchen. <laughs> I should probably post a video on your page. I had him dancing today, and he loved it. So dancing with your cat with coffee sounds like a song. <laughs> yeah, he liked it. All right. Well, thank you, Thanks Dr. Zorba. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate the call at 800-462-7413. Dancing with the cat video. If she, t- if she takes a video, we will post it on our website. That's a good call. 800-462-7413 is our number. A voicemail now, Zorba, uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Should I throw out spices in my kitchen like turmeric and cumin if they're expired, like 2013, 2015? I I know black pepper can have bacteria. Thanks. Not at all. You can get those spices forever. I mean, the the FDA requires requires them to put an expiration date on it, but the fact is they don't expire. Now, some of them get old. They're not quite as strong. Others, there's no difference. Like, take salt. It's going to be the same 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, a million years from now. Uh, pepper, if you're grinding pepper, I'm really not worried about bacteria at all. I don't know if I've never really read that pepper uh, has bacteria. But the answer is no. I don't pay any attention to the expiration date. I frankly have some spices that are better 20 years old, and that's about what it is. They're dried. They're not a problem. If they're wet, that's different. And if they smell funky, toss them. Hmm. Really? Well, do you, th- do you throw out salt? No. Well, what if it has an expiration date and you find a, a you know container of salt in the basement? I, don't know. I mean, I, but I have a lot of spices like turmeric, cardamom. I just have spices that I don't use as often, oh. and I'm sure that I don't throw the nutmeg. I was looking the other day at nutmeg, and I thought, when how long I've had this nutmeg, and then I put it back in the container because <laughs> it left my mind and my brain went to something else. But <laughs> you don't have to throw them out. And besides, when you throw them out, you're wasting. I mean, who who wants a waste, right? If you uh, want to talk with Zorba. I haven't convinced you to keep your spices, Tom. (laughs) When was the last time you looked in the spice cabinet anyway? Never. (laughs) 800-462-7413 is our number. That's 800-462-7413. We have another voicemail now, Zorba, from New Jersey. Yes. um, He's recommended a third drug called Zetimbi. It's the generic form of another drug. I told my family doctor, he says, you don't really need that. Meanwhile, my family doctor recommends taking a second baby aspirin every day, not just one, but two. And my cardiologist says, no, that's not necessary. You're increasing your risk of bleeding in your stomach. Who's right and who's wrong? Thank you. Oh, good. That, that's good. I can, I can do that. Well, first of all, one baby aspirin a day, if you need it, is all you need. Now, this has to do a senior cardiologist. That's the important thing. We don't give a baby aspirin to prevent heart attacks in people who don't have a major risk factor. We've gotten away from that. We set it for a long time, 20 years. Now we know the data shows not everyone needs a baby aspirin. So 81 milligrams a day. Uh, in Europe, it's 100 milligrams a day. So I'd, I'd stick with 81 milligrams a day. Does it increase your risk? 
to take two baby aspirins, there is an incremental risk, right? It would stick with that. Now, azitamide is another drug called Zetia. That's the name brand. It's now a generic. It is a drug that's used to lower cholesterol. Uh, there was a drug Vitoren, V-Y-T-O-R-E-N, I think that was the name of it, which was a combination of simvastatin and azitamide. And we thought that would be really good. And then the initial data show, it, even though it lowered the cholesterol, it didn't seem to lower heart attack risk. But the latest data shows it may be worthwhile. So taking another drug, azitamide, in addition to a statin, may decrease your risk factor for heart attacks and strokes. So I'm going to sit with the cardiologist with this, and I'm not going to sit with the family doctor. One for cardiology, zero for family doc. Hmm. Question for Zorba. The number is 800 462 Four one three. Before the break now, Zorba, we always love it when our listeners post on the Zorba Pastor on Your Health Facebook page. Time again for Facebook feedback. Facebook feedback. First up is Joe in Buffalo, New York, who asks, My wife has an 8-millimeter gallstone, and she wants to remove it without a surgery. Can she? A gallstone that was found on ultrasound or on CAT scan that is not symptomatic is not one that we actually do surgery on. So it really depends on symptoms. If she has symptoms, she needs surgery. You can't remove it. Uh, now, there is a drug, and I'm blocking on the name of it, that actually dissolves gallstones, but you got to take it forever or the gallstones come back. Mm -hmm. So for a while, we thought when the first drug, when the drug came out, that this may do it. But if you're symptomatic... And it's bothering you, you do have to have it removed because it could cause problems. I guess that's, that's the answer. We don't know how symptomatic she is. Asymptomatic gallstones are not a reason to have surgery. Carla in Norman, Oklahoma writes, I caught part of your recommendation for treating swollen eyelids. You said to get a mask that can be heated and an eye gel but I didn't catch what eye gel you recommended or how frequently to do the treatment. I love your show and love your Facebook page, too. So the gel that I really like is called Refresh, Refresh Eye Gel. I really like it. I think it's a good eye gel. And what you do is you get a microwavable mask. You get a mask. You look them up on, on the web, put it in the microwave for 30 seconds, put the gel in your eye, put the mask on, leave it on for five minutes, once or twice a day. It is great for dry eyes. Use it. I love mine. Finally, Zorba, here's a message we received from a listener named Alan. Your program is excellent. It has become my beacon in public radio. Tom and I aren't too far apart in our ways either because I've never had tofu and never, <laughs> never will. <laughs> thanks, for your, thanks for your comment. We call him Tofu Tom for a good reason. <laughs> okay. Thanks, thanks to our wonderful listeners for all the Facebook comments. So keep posting. And, of course, you can always send us an old-fashioned email at Zorba at WPR.org. More of your calls coming up, another interesting topic to talk about, and more listener emails as well. All that coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX. Tom Clark with Family Doc Zorba Pastor here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. Our number is 800-462-7413 if you have a question for Zorba. But Zorba, before our next call, neuroscientists have identified a population of neurons in the human brain that respond to 
singing, but not other types of music. Right, kind of, kind of interesting. That I sounds mean, interesting. I yeah. mean, it's interesting because you you think about what we often want to do. We often want to sing, and we want to sing with other people, and it, it, it you know it stimulates a different part. But what they really looked at, and I, I think this actually has it says something about what's going on in our brain and what's happening really post COVID. So uh, with through functional MRI scanning and other scannings, uh, magnetic imaging, they wanted to look at neurons in the auditory cortex. That's the part of the brain that responds to music. And through a very specialized way, they were able to see that some neurons actually responded to singing and other neurons next to it didn't respond at all. And if they played other types of music, it didn't respond at all in the singing. So in other words, there are some aspects of our brain that are specifically involved with singing. Now, you think about it. There's something about choral music or people singing. We like to sing together, and it's different from listening to an instrument. And also there's something about live music that's different from mm-hmm. recorded music. Mm-hmm. And these are very important parts. And you think about it. Why do these parts of our brain develop? And I think it's from social relationships. I mean, what did you miss during COVID? Didn't you miss social relationships with people? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's very interesting. In some cultures, like we were in France, and we're at a friend's house in France, a friend of a friend's house. And at the end of the night, they all pulled out music and they started singing at the table. They're like eight people at the table, and they said, well, let's sing. And there's certain songs that they like to sing, and they actually, I mean, they were in French, so we couldn't sing it at all. And we thought, we don't do that, you know? I mean, That's kind of nice, isn't it? Isn't it? There's something, yeah. of, there's something about singing together. And what do we often do when we're engaged in cultural or religious activities? We often sing, right? And singing somehow heightens the level of what that is. Well, they're now discovering that these neurons, uh, there are certain neurons in the brain that respond to that. Uh, but I think post-COVID, it just reminds me in some way that there's something about singing live music that really motivates our brain in different ways ways. And I think that's important as we sort of start to roll out getting back to life. Yeah. For those of us who can't uh, carry a tune very well, we're at a disadvantage here. We're definitely at a disadvantage. And I think about when I was younger, I could really sing. I have a high voice. Nowadays, I can't sing as much. But yes, that's why we need to be with young people who love to sing. <laughs> <laughs> or we could just sing along even though we aren't any there good we are. at it. That's right. That's right. In the shower or in our house. <laughs> 800-462-7413. If you'd like to talk with Zorba, that's one 800 4627413 We welcome a listener now in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. Hi. Hi. How can we help? Uh, my question is um I'm 37 but um over the last couple years actually my um my hair has been falling out on a more frequently basis actually in the last couple months and I've been really tired and lethargic and I was just wondering if that's an iron deficiency. Um, I do have a, a history. My family history has iron deficiency, and so I was just wondering what I should do or mm-hmm. if there's anything else I should ask a doctor about. Well, there are a few things. First of all, it's not it's not an iron deficiency. That really is usually anemia is not, is not a reason for your hair to fall out. Uh, so have you been under a lot of stress lately? Have you had any medical problems at all? Um, yes. Under extreme stress. Uh-huh. So extreme stress can actually cause hair loss. I mean, it's it's a very known uh, issue that hair loss occurs uh, when the stress begins to resolve. Often, hair begins to grow, but that can take that can literally take months. So, first of all, you know, trying to to deal with that s- stress. Uh, what sort of extreme stress? Um, I left my girl's father mm-hmm. almost two years ago mm-hmm. and I bought a house and mm-hmm. I've been renovating it mm-hmm. but that the um, the part of leaving the girl's father mm-hmm. is I believe resolved a lot mm-hmm. and the renovations on my home are almost done 
are almost done. So those are things. So those are resolving a stress as an issue. Um, a couple of other things. Right off the hand, I often tell uh, women, especially if they're losing their hair, go and get Selsun Blue, Selsun Blue or T-Gel. One is Selsun Blue, which is has selenium in it. And we use it, by the way, for a variety of things from dandruff for seborrheic, uh, seborrheic problems in the scalp. And believe it or not, Selsun Blue sometimes works and will help keep hair from falling out. It's one of the things that can happen. Put it on your head, keep it on for five minutes before you wash it off. So you got to sit in the shower and not, you know, let it wash off right away. That's one of the things. Going to your family doc or dermatologist would be excellent. Dermatologists have lots of ideas, may look at your hair and give some other recommendations because uh, there are a lot of things. This is not an uncommon problem, and it's something that often you can do something to reverse it, either on your scalp or, as I said, you know, stress once again can do that. So, so I think a visit, if the Selsun Blue doesn't do anything to stop it, I think a visit to your local dermatologist would be in order. Okay. Um, one last question. So is this, um, will my hair grow back after I uh, alleviate some of the stress? Quite often it does grow back. It just doesn't happen instantly, but quite often it really does grow mm. back. Yes. Yes, yes, Okay. Yes. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks Bye-bye. for your call. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We appreciate that. Call at 800-462-7413. 1-800-462-7413. Okay, Zorba, I hope you remembered to pick up your black robe from the dry cleaners. Time again to do the segment where Dr. Zorba trades in his pristine white doctor's coat for a stuffy, Judicial gown. <laughs> this is Judge Zorba. Okay, Zorba, this case comes from an anonymous listener in Knoxville, Tennessee, who writes Hi, Dr. Zorba. I'm 35 years old, and on a recent show, you were talking about bidets. Well, I have an anal problem. Namely, it hurts all the time. I often have a stinging, burning pain made worse by loose stools. I saw a doctor a couple of years ago who told me unequivocally that I did not have hemorrhoids. My wife thinks it's just sweating and chafing. But I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Well, there are a lot of things that can be. So first of all, he may have something called an anal fissure. That's where you have a little crack in your anus, and there are medications you can put on. Uh, prescription medications such as nitroglycerin ointment that can help heal an anal fissure. And believe it or not, sometimes you need surgery for something like that. So mm. you may not have hemorrhoids, but you may have something else. Now, when you wipe yourself, uh, if you wipe yourself, you want to really use either the softest tissue you can or you want to buy the butt wipes that basically have a little bit of uh, cream on it and ointment in it to really sort of make it very soft, and that can make a difference. And believe it or not, a bidet toilet can be wonderful because you're using water to wash yourself, and you're not wiping yourself with anything. But to get a bidet toilet, you got to buy it, install it, and put it in. I think I would do the butt wipes first. But... Getting back to the issue, if you're bothered all the time, you got to have somebody look at your butt because you might have Mm. something that is actually curable. And once again, anal fissures, not uncommon, often medications can help. Mm. So, so Tom, uh, are you considering getting a bidet toilet to give your anus just that soft, wonderful, swishy feeling when you, after you pooped on the toilet? No, thank you. (laughs) Do you need Judge Zorba to help settle a case? Just post... I'm I'm the judge. (laughs) Oh, you scared me. (laughs) Do you you need Judge Zorba to help settle a case? Just post your question on our Facebook page or send us an email at... Zorba at (laughs) WPR.org. 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. And a voicemail now, Zorba, a listener in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
Uh, we listen to Zorba Pastor on your health, and he has uh, neglected to mention that uh, when you uh, are eating microwave popcorn, there is a uh, compound in there called diacetyl uh, with the C4H6O2, um, which is, uh, causes bronchiolitis obliterans, which uh, can wreck your lungs and cause uh, lots of lung problems. Okay, thanks so much. Bye-bye. You know, I'm, I'm not familiar with that. I'll have to pull out a microwave popcorn. Um, I can't imagine that the FDA is allowing microwave popcorn if it actually destroys your lungs. On the other hand, if you look at microwave popcorn, there's a lot of stuff in there. I mean, yeah. you look at the package, it's got a lot of stuff. If you like popcorn like my wife likes popcorn, then get the popcorn, put it in the oil, pop it yourself, and you don't have all the other stuff that's in there. So definitely, it's going to be more pure and safer not to have some of the things in microwave popcorn. But I'm not exactly sure... If uh, if this is a, if this lung problem that our listener talked about is actually caused by microwave popcorn, I'll I'll have to do some research. And the phrase goes, "I'll get back to you." Eight hundred four six two seven four one three is our number. That's one eight hundred four six two seven four one three. Before we head out today, Zorba, we love when our listeners pop in to drop some knowledge or lend their expertise to the show. The following listener. Tip came from Aliyah. Hello, Dr. Zorba and crew. I heard a person call in to complain about the texture of popcorn that was popped from kernels themselves versus the bag stuff. Nobody immediately knew that texture varies greatly by type of kernel. Oh. The caller mm. should check out the wide variety of corn kernels mm -hmm. available for different flavor, texture, and size. Really? Huh. The local farmer's market, that. the Amish food stand, mm -hmm. the entirety of the Internet. Uh -huh. There's a real <laughs> smorgasbord of opinions. Uh -huh. Experiment and mm -hmm. enjoy. Um, nom, nom. <laughs> Sounds like it is delicious. My wife likes popcorn. My mother liked popcorn. I like popcorn. Didn't realize that there's a difference in all these textures. But for the popcorn lovers, hey, it's second, it's, you know, it's second nature for them. Do you have a helpful tip, perhaps a kernel of knowledge to add to our show? <laughs> Just post it on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. See you next week, Zorba. Stay well, Tom. If you missed anything during the show or just want to stream the show online anytime, visit us on the web at ZorbaPastor.org or, of course, through Facebook. And don't forget you can call us anytime to leave your question at 800-462-7413. Zorba Pastor on Your Health is a production of Wisconsin Public Radio. It's not intended as a medical diagnosis, so please do check with your doc. Our executive producer is Carl Christensen. Our technical director is Brad Kohlberg. Our theme music is by Leo and Ben Sedrin. For Zorba Pastor, I'm Tom Clark asking you to join us on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health. Did you miss something on today's show? Simply go to ZorbaPastor.org to catch up on all things Zorba. There you will find recipes from the show, links to the Facebook page, Zorba's healthy living articles, and you can subscribe to the weekly podcast. On the web, that's ZorbaPastor.org.